The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another amazing episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, adapts, and ruins uh, some of your favorite and least favorite properties from <laughs> television, film, comic books, and uh, what have you. And tonight we have a, I guess, technically modern classic. It's post-2000, which I still feel like it is considered a modern classic. Yeah, it came out in 2000. In 2000. So it, it, it's not something that's necessarily considered like an, a classic it will be at I, some point. I do. I do as well. I think it is. Uh, this was 2002. This movie came out. And the beautiful nature of this film was... 2000. Or 2000. Yeah. The beautiful nature of this film was taking the serial killer genre and turning it really on its head. That yeah. it wasn't weird dudes living in a cabin in the middle of nowhere or that have some weird like fetishy kind of thing. It was just like a psychopath story that takes place in 1980s like Wall Street. Exactly. And uh, virtually anybody I know that loves that genre of film is obsessed with this movie. Absolutely. And it's it's very prescient right now considering uh sort of like the zeitgeist of of you know where our culture has gone in a certain way where you've got maybe some people at, in positions of power and positions of like, you know, making a lot of money that can do whatever the hell they want. That is very true. I feel like this movie speaks more to the current climate than it did in 2000 when it came out. Right. The idea that somebody that has the preeminent uh, privilege in the yes. world that is so, uh, so powerful and also not even held accountable for being the person that they actually are because they're basically all, it's not all, all white people look the same, but it's all businessmen look the same. They went to a great school, you know, that Yale thing, that Yale or thing, that, Harvard, that thing. Harvard thing. And then they get a great job at a uh, acquisition firm <laughs> that they probably got from their family. And they're all 20 somethings with, unlimited funds and then nothing better to do than what they do. I don't want to really draw too many lines, <laughs> but the idea of a well-off person that has some real like psychopathic or at, at the very least, uh, insanely narcissistic, narcissistic tendencies, tendencies, tendencies that goes up through the ranks just based entirely on privilege that becomes in a position of power that literally anything they do, they are not held accountable for. I don't know how you could really translate to, to anything that's happening in the world right now, uh, especially in the United States. But if you can figure it out, then that you might have some gleaning as to why American Psycho is more important than it ever has been uh, up and, to this point. And the ending. 
is so memorable because it basically like you can just get away with it. Yeah. It, it meant nothing. That absolutely nothing at exactly. the end of the day. <laughs> so we are talking about American Psycho on this episode of Smack My Pitch Up. It is a absolutely joy, demented joyride of a movie. It is. The, this is in the early days of Christian Bale. He, he was a known actor at that point. Yeah, he, th- I, I would say this is probably his breakout adult role. Because he had done uh, Empire of the Sun, which is which is was his early breakout role. And I fucking love that movie. And newsies, newsies. Uh, but no, this this put him on the map as a oh my god, he has serious acting chops, and this directly led him to get all kinds of amazing roles to come. And this was around the era that just about anything that Christian Bale was putting out, I was down for. Yeah. That he wasn't making bad movies around this era. No, he wasn't. There was movies that people underappreciated like Equilibrium, but that movie is still a very solid movie. Yeah, no, I mean, it, he did such a range of movies. I mean, as an actor and as a performer, the, the, the places he's willing to go physically and emotionally, like he did between Equilibrium and Batman, he did The Machinist. The Machinist, which he was on a diet of oatmeal and applplesauce, if I remember correctly. Yes. And dropped down to like 90-something pounds. Yeah. He, he and looked, he's not a short man. No, no. He, he looked like a concentration camp survivor. Yes. Like, he was terrifying. And he actually did his first audition for Nolan's Batman when he was just coming out of that. And he was like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, did you see e- Equilibrium? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll put it back on. He and I want to say Edward Norton in that era probably were the two actors that were able to make that yo-yo weight kind of thing work for their roles. That sure. went from scrawny to brick shithouse. Uh, yeah. Edward Norton with Amer- American History X b- putting on more muscle than he's ever had before or since. Oh, absolutely. I think in a role. Yeah. And uh, Christian Bale did the same thing with going from The Machinist to Batman. I think a more extreme version, I think, with his uh, his change in sure, sure. body shape. Yeah, and more recently, I guess, uh, uh, who's it? Tom, uh, what's his nuts? Who played Bane? Oh, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. He, he did a lot of the same stuff. True. You, you know, yeah. where he, he, was, he was slender for certain roles, and then he bulked up for Bronson. He, Bronson, he was know, a beast and, and in Bronson. Bane, he was like gigantic. Yeah. But yeah, no. And then you see him in in uh, Inception, and he's this like like thin, like right. well to do dude, regular dude. Yeah, regular dude. Yeah, yeah. So, but that is not actually. We're talking about waxing poetic about Christian Bale, but it's mainly because I don't think this movie exists in the uh in the cultural like cloud uh, like it does without Christian Bale's portrayal of the main character. He definitely owns this character so hard and uh it it shows and it, it's it's hard to this is why this was difficult trying to cast this character in 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 different versions because <laughs> it's just like how do you do that when it's almost kind of like the the 90s era chicago bulls where michael jordan was such a predominant character even though there were major heavy hitters on that team oh yeah that team was in important because of one player and that's american psycho is that there's killer actors in this movie oh there's a lot of great actors great actors but the portrayal that christian bale is doing is so it's this weird mixture of 
in times trying to come off as thoughtful and and uh empathetic but it's through this like weird cheesecloth of just like complete lack of empathy and he, he putting was, it on he was like he said it multiple times in the movie i just want to fit in yeah you know and that's what he was doing he was playing a role just at the, the dinner table scene where they're talking about how they would like change things that are problems in the world and he <laughs> breaks it down in this very vague, generalized term, and people are like, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, you're so thoughtful. Like, you're yeah. so you're so caring about other people, We Patrick, should end and world hunger and blah, blah, blah. Should, yeah, just vague. You know how if you just say we should end world hunger, people are like, cool. I didn't think about that before. That's how we're going to do it is just by ending it. It was yeah. just sound bites that he was yeah. reciting, but he was doing it in, in this quasi-thoughtful way, and and... But his, the delivery his, was so perfect, though. It was perfect, and but his friends know enough about him to be like, "Come on, really? Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> remember, like last week when we were talking about like Ed Gein and how he put like women's heads on a stick. Like, you remember <laughs> right. that? Like, uh, well, I guess you also want to take care of the poor. This is a weird <laughs> when we were, imbalance when here. we were doing blow off of hookers or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. So. If you have not had the opportunity to watch American Psycho, I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, it's a near perfect movie. It is. It, it, and it deals with a lot of really dark issues. Uh, obviously there's a lot of misogyny. There's a, there's obviously wanton violence, a lot of, uh, the worst parts of sexuality, you know, like, you know, demeaning, you know, women and stuff like that. And, and just like toxic masculinity, all kinds of stuff going on in there, but it's all part of the character and it all fits. And also, I don't think that those aspects are really celebrated in this movie. No, they're Unlike, portrayed. Say, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, where tonally, like, these are all bad guys and you know they're bad guys, but it's so much fun to watch them being bad guys that you kind of root for them. You're not really rooting for any of the these characters in it. They're all giant pieces of shit. Yeah. And, but the reason why you're still kind of, like, hanging by every word of uh, Patrick Bateman is because he's such a psycho that you're just really intrigued on what he's going to do next. Well, you also get the voiceover where you're in his head the whole movie. Yeah. And he's explaining how he feels and what he does and why he does. And that's the part that that sells it. Because he is trying to navigate this world that he lives in, where he lives in affluence. He has a great job that he really has, doesn't have to do much at, you know, because he got it however he did, you know. And, you know, he has this wonderful apartment. He has all the money he needs. He has everything he needs. And all he has to do on his spare time is kill hookers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Or people that get in his way in one way or another. Or that. Yeah. Yeah. Over jealous, over jealousy of a business car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or something. Anyway. And uh, that's why I'm kind of intrigued to see what we're going to do with this property. Uh, mm -hmm. As if you're unfamiliar with the show, basically we have two different versions of piece. We have a version, if we were to reboot, remake, reimagine, what have you on this sequel, whatever, a version that we think might actually be the best way to do it. Taking a property, which I don't feel like American Psycho needs to be remade. This is one of those that no. I don't think this is a thing that didn't, get done properly enough the first time it was done perfectly this is more just a a kind of mental exercise in in fan casting i mean having having actually read the book um 
I would say that Mary Heron's film, American Psycho, is about the best you could possibly get on a cinema screen for two hours. Sure. Okay, without getting into territory that would just be so repulsive that nobody would watch it. Now, I thought for a second of getting Mia Kunis to play Patrick Bateman and just do like an American Psycho 2 treatment to the remake of it. If anybody's seen American Psycho 2, there's nothing about that movie that holds a fucking candle to the original. It's entirely a cash grab. And I think they got maybe $18 from that. uh, That movie is probably one of the first truly terrible, bad movies that I ever made myself get through. Oh, and this was years ago. And I was like, American Psycho 2, we're going to do this. And it was a, it was a trial to get through this movie, yeah. even with William Shatner in it. Yep. It was awful. It's dog shit. It's pure dog shit. Well, they kill Patrick Bateman off screen in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I guess this is his successor. No. In fact, I don't know when Hunter's going to hear this, but he might have to watch that movie. The Schlock Abuse. The Schlock Abuse. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Groots, <laughs> I, I didn't actually inform the audience oh, who's right. actually here. Uh, Groots, Hair Groots, uh, regular on the Geeks Under the Influence ne- uh, main show, uh, has been on a number of times on Smack My Pitch Up, and also the uh, co-host of Beautiful Disasters here on the Geeks Under the Influence Network. It's great to be back, and, uh, you know... Stay tuned. There's there's uh, four episodes in the works right now. Nice. They are recorded. They are being edited. One will be released very shortly, etc. I like that we're at the point where I just assume the same eight people that listen to Smack My Pitch Up just already know who you are, so I don't have to actually explain who the guest is at this point. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. You know. Uh, first off, we're going to get into the our real take, the actual version that yes. we think might be the best way to do a remake or reimagining or what have you. And uh, is there anything tonally or plot-wise that you're looking to change out of the uh, amazing story that is American Psycho? Yes. Uh, I am making this a period piece uh, set in the late 1800s in England. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, like, a, a super prequel to American Psycho. Yes. Um, this is going to be set... Um, during the Jack the Ripper panic. Okay. But the, okay. the film is not going to directly connect the dots, but it leaves it up to the imagination. Sure. Yeah. Okay. He, he did like to kill hookers. Yeah. Now, you know? Wow. That's a bold take, sir. I think it's going to be awesome. Okay. So the concept of the original American Psycho of being a businessman that's kind of working their way up and being kind of like of a, a higher caste in yes. society. Is this going to be like a member of royalty or something in the... Well, there's definitely... Uh, in that time, there was there was an aristocratic class that, you know, controlled a lot of the business, a lot of the you know finance and industry going on in England at the time. There's definitely royalty involved. There's societies, all kinds of things going mm-hmm. on. It definitely, it's rife with opportunities for this kind of a group of people to exist and flourish. Actually, maybe even more so than the original American Psycho, that the caste system was so blatantly uncaring about the poor at that point, that right. if a, a person of the court was to go around and murder poor people, 
no yeah. one would give a shit. No one, no one of uh, any kind of uh, credit that could do anything about it. Right. At least, you know, their neighbors probably sure, but yeah, I, I would say yeah, it's a little harder to get away with that kind of stuff in the Reagan era, even which which is when <laughs> the book and movie was set. I'm just picturing like but, a yeah. 1800 version of the hallway scene where he's running with his tennis shoes and a chainsaw, but instead it's just like a, a sickle or something <laughs> running through the, the main thoroughfare of a small village, just like coming after somebody on cobblestone streets on cobblestone streets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically uh, I, I figured it was, it was a great setting to put it, especially amidst that whole panic of Jack the Ripper. Okay. Um, because you could leave it, you know, it, it, the movie concept would suffer if, if you actually made the Patrick Bateman character Jack the Ripper. But if you left, left it up to the imagination and you left it like an unex, un, unanswered question, I think it's cooler that way. Okay. And the unanswered question is actually kind of what I'm leaning towards with my version, my real take on it, is that it really comes into play, especially later in the movie that there's this like disconnect to reality where the ATM is telling him to feed them a cat. There's that's when reality and his imagination start to kind of like separate a bit. And he doesn't know what he's actually done and what has been his imagination. He doesn't know. He goes back to the apartment that he's been storing all the dead hookers in (laughs) and it's clean. And right. There is a, like you need to get out right now, but you don't know if it's because he's comes off as a weirdo or they found all the bodies and they don't want the serial killer there. You know, they don't want the reputation of the building to be right. He has a, he has a firefight with a cops with a Glock and blows up a cop car. Yeah. Like there's, that, there's, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, but it's left in this weird kind of inception level of like, who knows left up to the opinion of the viewer on whether or not it was real or not. What's in my mind. Yeah. And that's why the ending again is so freaking brilliant, you know? And that's what I'm kind of leaning towards with my version is that I definitely want to play even more so earlier in the film about Patrick's interaction with reality and his own, like, break from reality, where there's points in the later when he blows up a cop car, say, with a Glock, that there are things that he can do in the world that makes him wonder if he's gaining the powers of a god. Yep. In, in minor levels, not to the point where he's like shaping buildings or anything like that, but just to the point where he is untouchable. He yeah. is immortal. Like he, he, he will not be hit by bullets. He will not be affected by anything. This like the extreme level of narcissism of being untouchable uh, to really express that visually in yeah. this film yeah, and no. really kind of make it almost borderline a fantasy film in that way, a demented horror movie fantasy film version. I I definitely think it would work to to delve into that more, yeah. And I I think they did a very deft job of touching on it a little bit, but I'm interested to see a version where that's almost more the focus is his disconnection to reality. Like, uh, did you ever see Cronenberg's Spider with Rafe Fiennes? No. Where it's like delving into the mind of a schizophrenic, and it's that's a movie to watch. Well, and that's kind of actually what I'm looking for with this yeah. version is that there you go. it's it's really from his perspective, which the original was from his perspective. So let's use that perspective and let the viewer dive into the, the, the brain of Patrick Bateman that is disjointed from reality. It's not some of it's real. Some of it's not, he's not sure which is which it's just this (laughs) clusterfuck of fantasy versus reality. And like, that's going to be so much fun to play with. So for your casting, for your director, 
who who is going to be the one that's going to be able to bring American Psycho to the 1800s? Uh, I went with uh, Ben Wheatley, uh, who did uh, High Rise and yep. Free Fire and Kill List. You've been a big fan of his for uh, the last few years. Uh, High Rise was my favorite movie in 2015. Okay. Straight up. And Free Fire, so much fun. That's uh, basically there's a shootout in a warehouse that holds guns. Yeah, it's it, it's a gun deal gone wrong, and it you would think, oh, this would be a short film, and it it's actually really engaging for ninety minutes. It's fun, like every movie the guys made, a field in England. Watch that movie. That movie will blow your damn mind. It is awesome. Um, but the high rise was such a wonderful, like, you know, sort of. Uh, look at class and everything in this little uh, eco system of this high rise apartment, you know, where like the rich lived on the top levels and the, and, and, and the poor people lived lower down and, and it was perfect. It's in the same spirit of uh, Snowpiercer And what was the one that was on Netflix that came up with the, uh, the uh, table of food that went down the platform, the platform. It's very much that kind of like, yes. Or uh, the raid. Uh, has Absolutely. a similar yeah, kind yeah, of vibe yeah. uh, or or dread, which is the American mm-hmm. remake of the raid, basically. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wonderful, wonderful director. Um, I will watch anything this man makes, but he's also British, so he'll he can definitely handle um, both the kind of conversation and you know the witty back and forth because you know American Psycho did have some really good dialogue you know, between characters. And, you know, even if it was just Patrick Bateman, like trying to figure out how to function at a Christmas party that his girlfriend fiance was hosting, you know, sure. and it's just like everything about it was perfectly executed. Um, so yeah, Ben Wheatley could definitely construct a movie that I think would, uh, would work. Now you may have thought this and I, I, I feel like I have to point it out. That if you're doing like a during the Jack the Ripper era, like uh, British, like hierarchy kind of thing, American Psycho is maybe not the name of the film. Oh, no. For, it, it okay. Be the name. Okay. Just in, that'd be like a really clear clue on who was the killer if it's just like, <laughs> hello, governor. And then it's like, hello, sir. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. The main. Why character. don't you just get a job? You know, just going around. Yeah, the main character would not be. The, American, the Kevin Costner in uh in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, of like the <laughs> actors in it, where there's everybody else is speaking some vague version of of British accent, and then there's like, hello. Well, I was thinking about casting Christian Slater, who did like eight or ten words with a British accent, but the rest wasn't, and it was really really bad accent. He at least tried harder than Costner. Costner, I <laughs> I feel like he tried to do British accent, but he was like. Hello, Gobna. And they're like, you know what? Just just do you. Just let's do dances with wolves, but in the UK. Like just, just same accent. Just you it's do fine. you. You're the biggest movie star right now. Fine. <laughs> this is Alan Rickman. I'll cut your heart out with a spoon. And he's like, so it begins. Just yeah. completely <laughs> exactly. clean Midwestern American accent. Yeah. Uh I still love that movie. It's so stupid. Oh, I adore it. <laughs> I especially love that they went with the uh, period specific classic, everything I do, I do it for you. You know, that classic UK, like 
oh, song yeah. from the 1700s. Brian Adams. Yeah, with, Brian, uh, that, that classic 1700s orchestrator, Brian Adams. That, yeah, yeah. I think he played it on the sackpot. Yes, the sackpot version <laughs> of that song was a classic. Um, so for your casting, we, we've got the director. Who are you putting in these roles? Let's let's do a quick rundown of your cast list here. All right, let's, let's do this. All right, so my Patrick Bateman character I'm going to have played by James McAvoy. I thought about James McAvoy, like, because yeah. I think he can do the businessman thing really well. Oh, he can. Yeah, yeah. He, he can do he can do serious. He can do dramatic, but he can also do intense as fuck because we've all seen him in filth and, and split and you know, even his his role in Atomic Blonde, like all very good roles. Yes. And he would just be perfect. He has a great range. And I we all know that he can play psychotic. So. I feel like I just, yeah, I think I just cast him on the last episode, which was Deep Blue Sea. I nice. think I cast him in the role so, of one of the characters. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, we got Patrick Bateman as James Bat- McAvoy. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll just, you want me to just run through them all? Let's run through it, and then we can talk about, like, maybe the, the reasoning behind some of the castings yeah. after we get through the. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, for the detective that's going to be interviewing him and... It's uh, uh, Donald Kimball is the character Donald in the original. Kimball, yeah, yeah. Um, I had to do it. Daniel Day-Lewis. I dig it. I dig it. It's going to be tough to get him to do a role that small. For two reasons. Well, he can do any role. Sure. Anything. He can do funny. He can do whimsical. He can do so, super dramatic. He'll be on screen for four minutes and get Best Supporting Actor. He will. <laughs> so, so he'll win an award. And mostly, I just want him to come out of retirement. He'll live in a weird, like, medieval village that's there for tourists and pay them to shut it down for eight months so he could live there to method for his four-minute role in this version. Yes. I, yeah. I, I want him to get off his ass and act until he dies at 90. He's trying to sit back and retire with the uh, massive amount of money that his son is bringing in with his rap career. Ah. Well, Great, but <laughs> you have a craft. You are a master at your craft. You have all of the gold statues to prove it. You would, you would, fucking dance monkey. Think maybe his his. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you think his son would maybe take some of that kind of like work ethic and uh, apply it to being good at the one thing that he's trying to do, which is rapping, and uh, not at all the case if. You have not heard, I forget the name of his son. Just type in on YouTube, Daniel Day-Lewis son rap, and you will find a uh, plethora of videos of his son that's very white, uh, rapping uh. about how much weed is rad, I think, is mostly what he raps about. So. Uh, sounds like this kid needs to hang out with Machine Gun Kelly. There we go, while. Machine Gun Kelly. They can do a double album. Like They can be like the outcast <laughs> of white rappers. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, I'm glad that Machine Gun Kelly is actually working on his acting career uh, because his because I don't think his music career is going to take him much further. No, probably not. Yeah. Okay, so we got we got Patrick Bateman. Uh, yes. Uh, and we got uh, the we got Donald de- Kimball, the detective. detective. All right, so uh, for the rival, Paul Allen. The important role. The important role that, that uh, Patrick is dead set on besting any way he can. I went with Tom Hiddleston. Nice. From, you know, Loki fame, obviously. and Also High, high, rise, high rise as well, yeah. And obviously he's worked with Wheatley before, but also 
Like he has such an amazing range and he can play that pompous smug motherfucker so well, so well, so well that, you know, he's going to get a fucking hatchet to the face. Oh yeah. Or an ax or whatever. And you're almost going to be stoked about it because he deserves it. He absolutely does. Um, there's an added bonus of, uh, years later after American psycho, uh, Jared Leto came up with the band 30 seconds to Mars. And so every time I rewatched that movie after his band came out, it added a nuance of joy for me on watching him getting axed to death. So, yeah, yeah, he did get killed. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Uh, they, uh, Patrick Bateman took him down and buried him, buried him, which I think is a line from <laughs> 30 seconds to Mars song. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, the mid nineties through 2000, you know, Jared Leto took a lot of abuse, you know, with fight club. I just want to destroy something beautiful, losing an arm and requiem for a dream and then getting axed in the face, man. So anytime you're like, I really hate 30 seconds to Mars. There's a plethora of early 2000s movies that can make you feel better about that. (laughs) Yes, indeed. We need to do a quick cut of all the times that Jared Leto has been hurt on screen and just put it together with that song from 30 Seconds to Mars playing in the background. I think if, uh, if one of our listeners could do that for us, I definitely, would yeah. deeply appreciate it. All right. So I'm going to run through yeah, yeah, yeah. the rest of it kind of quicker here. All right. So <laughs> getting uh, distracted. the Evelyn Williams character is like his girlfriend slash fiance. Yes. Uh, originally Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Great role. I have Anna Kendrick in the role. I dig it. Okay. Because I despise Anna Kendrick. How do you despise Anna Kendrick? She grates my every nerve. She, like, I've never seen a role that uh, that she has done that I've been really, like, I just watched the movie 50-50 recently. Yes. Okay. She Where was she, adorable in that movie. She does adorable, but she does, like, just... I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. Like her adorable, like in that Hitman movie with uh, Sam Rockwell. I loved that movie as well. And everything about that movie was really fucking cool. The fucking Rizzo was in it and she was in it. And I was like, no, why are you here? She was so charming. She was on board. She went, okay, you're, you're a Hitman, but you're also really charming. I guess I can get on board with this. I don't know. I, I know a lot of people love her. think she's hot, whatever, you know, I just think the term is the bee's knees for whatever reason she grates on my nerves. And I just saw her in the role of Reese Witherspoon where she's just like this very like shallow person that just loves Christmas and just wants to, it's time to get married, blah, blah, blah. I feel like I do need to come to blows with you over this just, just to avoid the amount of hate mail that we're going to (laughs) get from your, your decision that Anna Kendrick's a a bad person or actress. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not always, I don't always have popular opinions. That's true. You do like the Angley Hulk. So that is a. There you go. That is so, a good I mean, example. There are of... things, you know, you know what? And I'm not going to, you know, say anybody who loves her is wrong because I've had this conversation with multiple friends. I'm that been, sure. That have been like, really? You don't like it? Yeah, I don't. Whatever. Anyway, I just see her in this role because I think it's in her range and she can play this really kind of like shallow character beautifully. 
And it would it would just please me to see her in I'm that role. Reconsidering our friendship over this, <laughs> like I I don't want to like die on the hill of Anna Kendrick, but I I just I don't know how to quant- like you know, there's there's those friendships that with everything going on in the world they have just a really weird take on it. They're like, yeah, keep the statues up, you know, fuck people that are offended by it. And you're like, I don't know how to take you anymore. Hey, I hey, feel like this it's isn't not, this it's, isn't political, bro. I I feel like it's almost borderline, like <laughs> or at least my feelings on this are almost borderline that level of like I I might have to like shirtless brawl you outside after this recording. Well, over one Anna thing Kendrick. you can do is show me a role that she did that's good. If you can do that, that would be oh. awesome. Uh, what is it? The uh, what's the movie with uh, where she? It must be memorable. I'm I'm blanking on it because a uh, little background information is that we were trying to record earlier and then the power <laughs> went out randomly. Indeed. So we yes. hung out in the yard and drank booze. And so uh, my recall is limited. Yeah, uh, fair enough. More so than uh, the one with uh, where she was falling around the dude from ER and they were on planes all the time and he had like a frequent flyer card. What's this fuck? That was in Michael Clayton. Uh, fucking... Reve- uh, Return of the t- Killer Tomatoes. Uh, George Clooney? George Clooney, yes. I was blanking on George Clooney. That's what happened. He's literally three times her age. And she's not like a love interest in that movie. Oh, good. She's like the, the sidekick in that movie, but she's uh, adorable in that. I've been told she's lovely and pitch perfect. Oh, okay. In, in those movies as well. Oh, was she in all of them? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think okay. all of them. Yeah, so. Well, hey, yeah, yeah. You know what? I I am a was it Steve and Dave need wedding dates or whatever the fuck it is where it was her and Aubrey Plaza being f- dark like broken women that okay. trick men into getting them to go to Hawaii. I am not above admitting I'm wrong if you introduce me to a movie that she is in that she is good. I feel like you being a minority voice in this conversation about Anna Kendrick, it, it's up to you to prove that she isn't a good actress uh, oh, that's easy. by, by doing the viewing of her films. Like that's, I've seen enough. Oh God. I, okay. We've got to move on because otherwise oh, yeah, yeah. it's going to be the Anna Kendrick oh, show damn. on yeah. this one. I yeah. said I was going to go fast on this. Okay. One. Yeah. All right. All right. Then so. you brought up that fucking terrible opinion. <laughs> it's root, just completely like off-roaded us. Sorry. With your terrible fucking choices. Okay. Well, Hey, Continue. you know, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Um, it's, right. I'm angry. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm trying to calm down. All right. I'm going to move it along. All right. So Jean, who played the secretary. Yes. The uh, young, innocent secretary. Right. Type. Uh, Chloe Savigny in the original film. Okay. Uh, I have Elle Fanning in this one. from Solid choice. From Neon Demon. Okay. She can do no wrong. She's been killing it lately. She has been. In, in the last, like, probably five or six years. She's yes. really been going. Uh, unlike Anna Kendrick. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> Don't no. poke the bear, sir. No, she has been killing it, and she came out, you know, as as like a child star, you know? I mean, Super 8, right? Well, she was following the, in the footsteps of her sister, her older sister yeah, that exactly. like kind of hasn't really been doing a whole lot in recent years, was like the child star that really did well earlier and then just kind of fell off. I feel like she's doing, like... The, the younger sister is now doing better as an older actress. Yes. Actually, I just saw, and I'm also blanking on the title, but I just saw a movie with Dakota Fanning where she plays a 
mentally challenged, like she has some form of uh, maybe autism or severe like, um, like spectrum stuff. Or... Yeah, okay. yeah. She, she just she has to live in a home and visit her sister and stuff like that. And and she is a huge Star Trek fan. Oh no, I saw that. That was a very good movie. Yeah, yeah. And she writes a script for, for a competition. Star Trek. Yeah, no, that movie was great. That was great. Yep. Yeah, no, I saw that, that and I thoroughly suggest. And man, the name of that movie is. Because it doesn't reference Star Trek or, or... It's like Take Me Home or something like that. Something it's like it's something that. along those yeah. lines. But it's her on the cover doing the the uh, Live Long and Prosper. It was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. But yes, uh, Elle Fanning has been doing great. And she's been taking very meaty roles over the last few years. Um, and she could totally do that kind of subdued. Because, you know, uh, Chloe Zavigny originally played it very mousy, you know, as the secretary. Well, just look at her in uh, Super 8. Exactly. perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so she's got that. Um, let me move on to, I, I cast the, um, the Samantha character, the affair, who was uh, with uh, Lewis, the... Oh, I thought that was Courtney was the... Oh, was that her name? Yeah, Courtney Rawlinson. Oh, you know what? I wrote down the, the actress's name by mistake. Oh, okay. No problem. Samantha that was Matt. Courtney Rawlinson was the... Uh, yes, the girlfriend Gordon. of Lu- Lewis? Lewis, who was kind of in the, love with Patrick. The gay, and, yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I I cast Felicity Jones uh, from Rogue, nice. Rogue One. Okay. Um, just I think she could do it. She could play like kind of like the affluent, kind of wasted, like I don't care about anything sort of character. And then um, his friends, I just kind of did a cast thing. Where instead of casting each one, because there was a, you know, there's Timothy Bryce and Craig McDermott and David Van Patten and Lewis Carruthers. I didn't, I didn't bother with a lot of the, I didn't, uh, I didn't do all them. So I just did for this version, I did the young cast of Dunkirk because it was, (laughs) (laughs) because it was just a, it was a a lot of young British guys that had good performances and, and good interaction with each other as well. Exactly. So, okay. And they delivered and there you go. I like that you copied and pasted in your, uh, in your version of this. Just yeah, like, basically. yep, I'll just take some of that, put that in there. Blip. There you go. Nice. Yep. So, uh, that's my cast for my series. Okay. For my series, uh, for my director, I wanted to do a director that could really play with the difference of reality and, uh, and fantasy and have that weird dark tone as well. And I think, even though there's a very limited number of uh, examples of their work, it's a directing duo that I'm leaning on of uh, Dan Kwan and Daniel uh, Scheinert, who were the directors of Swiss Army Man. Ooh. And if you want to talk about a dark movie that plays with fantasy and reality, that is a humdinger of a movie. And I'm sorry, I I apparently am 80 years old and use humdinger. uh, Yeah, yeah. In in parlance. Uh, But... I adored how weird that movie was. Yeah. I mean, farts that propelled them and, and, you know, a boner that tells direction. Yeah. It's, there was a lot of extremely strange choices that Have were they made. done anything else since then? Not really. Well, there's a movie coming out in the, in 2020 or is supposed to have again with everything going on, who knows, called everything everywhere all at once is a film that they're doing. And it, uh, the only, information I can get is that it's a like 75 year old Asian woman that's trying to do her taxes, but it's considered a sci-fi film. So I don't know. 
and the casting is very limited on who is involved in it. I'll fucking watch it. Uh, I'm interested because Swiss Army Man was such a fun movie, and they actually come from they they uh, as as a duo directed an episode of Legion. Uh, they they were involved with a lot of the Adult Swim shows, like the what's the one that's all the different like acronyms together, the NSFT colon whatever. I have no idea. It was like their crime show, but it was like at Children's Hospital they did an episode of. They, nice. They, they come from that ilk. So they know how to be weird and dark and funny. And I think there's, there's an opportunity there to take American Psycho and know that you're not going to do the same thing as the original, but you can create Clearly. this <laughs> weird, like tense thriller horror fantasy dark comedy kind of vibe oh they could do that that they would be able to really nail down i mean swiss army man i went in watching the trailer just being like all right this is going to be weird danny radcliffe and paul dano yeah and who in their own rights are fuck is happening in this trailer i'm really glad that daniel radcliffe really like did the elijah wood thing and just really went indie as fuck after harry potter because like he's allowed fans of film to find him just in his own right as an actor. He's not just Harry you Potter. You have to. When you have such an iconic role like Harry Potter or Frodo, you absolutely have to differentiate yourself. Yep. You have to. And, I mean, Elijah Wood now has a freaking production company that's making shit like Mandy. Yep. Like, I love those yep. guys and love everything they've been doing. And that gets me into my casting as well, because yeah. Patrick Bateman for this, I thought about somebody that can come off as like detached and weird, but then get fucking buck wild when it comes to it. And I feel like Daniel Radcliffe really has shown his uh, abilities there. He could do that. Uh, and especially with the directing duo that he's already worked with, I feel like he's going to have those opportunities to have the like balled out crazy. And then that very muted kind of performance that you've seen in uh trying to think there were there were moments in horns that he was a little bit more muted or what's that uh romantic comedy that he was in that he was a very muted role uh what if that he was in that very muted for him but he expressed a lot just by his like facial expression well he was like, in that surgeon show right oh young doctor's notebook i think it was called Something. with john ham yeah i was uh, talking to amy bogart about that and yeah. it's an incredible show it's immensely dark and and sad it's a very sad show but it's also fucking funny yeah he can bring the drama we i mean yeah. i'm sorry but like my favorite harry potter movie is the last i guess it's a double movie yep where the last two are my favorite too yeah where they're all like freaking stranded out in the wilderness and like the actual drama happens they're at odds with each other like yeah. there's they just you can feel how exhausted and and just over it they are they play a sad nick cave song i'm like oh <laughs> that's know? what it is is they played nick cave in a harry potter movie and you're like that's all i needed uh, basically i was like yeah. oh i'm definitely in now all right so for patrick bateman we've got daniel radcliffe for gene the uh the secretary the young secretary yes i went with an actress that was actually in swiss army man as well i went with mary elizabeth winstead she's i, lo I love her she's great she's done tons of stuff uh, we actually just talked about her on the Sky High episode that Smash was on. Nice. Because she was in Sky High as well. And, well, and she can play Meek beautifully. She can play Meek very well, but she can also go hardline if necessary, which I don't think she's going to need for the role. But like, yeah, Swiss Army Man, Sky High, Scott Pilgrim, 10 Cloverfield Lane. 
Uh, there's mm, something yes. she does with her roles where she can play a fully realized character, but still very minimal like dialogue. And and yeah. Jean doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Very nervous. Kinda. She doesn't have to overact like uh, Anna Kendrick. This is what you're saying. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. And that's it for this episode of Snack My Pitch Up. I have to uh, shirtless knife fight Groot's in the yard after this over the honor of Anna Kendrick, apparently. I only brought a small blade. <laughs> uh, Evelyn Williams, the, the main girlfriend, yes. is the next one that I'm doing. And I actually had to check height for this because Daniel Radcliffe is not a tall man. He's uh, five, five. And this He's 5'5". Five, he is 5'5", five? Five, five, I checked. And this actress normally is portrayed as a taller woman in, in her roles, but is actually only 5'6". I went, okay, an inch difference? Okay, I'm comfortable with that. Uh, Margot Robbie oh, as, yeah. as Evelyn Williams, I think would be a very fun. Her being super socialite is only really with him because of his like cast in the Wall Street kind of vibe completely detached from him there's no love that you feel at any point between these two characters no no they're just there because they're in the same circles you know and so i'm, I'm thinking more like her wolf of wall street role but with less sex pot less sex pot le more detached more socialite kind of vibe yeah. and i think she could really nail that then we've got paul allen the the enemy and being part of the same boat as uh now, and, and something that I did with both of my castings is that part of the storyline with these characters is that both the the girlfriends and wives and the men that are involved in the story are borderline interchangeable as far as their look, their style, everything about them. So I, I started looking at actors that maybe not weren't doppelgangers, but looked close enough to each other that if you didn't care at all, you could easily... Mistake. Mistake them. So I did go with Elijah Wood for Paul Allen. I love it. And also pretty close to the same height as Daniel Radcliffe. So like I could see them with slick back hair doing the thing. And I could see Elijah. I would love to see Elijah Wood as that like smarmy, like self-important role. Because that's not a role he does normally. But I know he's a good enough actor. I think he could probably pull it off. He could have got a table at Dorsia. He could have. He very well could have. He could have. He'd have been like, did you see the Lord of the Rings movies? And they're like, wasn't me, but I look like the guy. Give me a table. So that's Paul Allen. Then we've got uh, Louise. And that oh, is... Oh, Louis. Oh, uh, Louis. Uh, sorry, Louis. Uh, that character is so sad and awkward and wanting so desperately to be just like Patrick is saying, wanting to fit in, where he buys the same or wants the same luggage as Patrick Bateman. He mm -hmm. wants to have the same clothing. He's a tryhard in this group of Wall Street dudes. But there's nothing about him that he can fit in. He's gay and he's he's not part of this ilk. He's he's trying desperately to be part of it, but he's not. And so there's this awkwardness that comes from it. I think especially having worked with them on Swiss Army Man, Paul Dano would knock that out of the park. Oh yeah, dude, totally. In that role that just like always looks like he's a little moist kind of kind of character. Because I feel like uh, the original uh, Lewis always looked like he was kind of wet. Yes, and, he, was, he was nervous. He was a nervous guy. And Paul Dano can very much be that, like, kind of wet, nervous guy. Oh, yeah, we saw him very nervous in There Will Be Blood. Yes, very much. Uh, and that comes into play when you're going to get murdered. You know, that... that True. Is... 
maybe a reason to be nervous. Then we've got Courtney Rawlinson, and that goes into I want some wanted somebody that was kind of like the the for lack of a better term, Kmart version of his actual girlfriend. You know, looked very similar, but was kind of not quite as put together. You know, this is the pill pop and like kind of burned out version yeah. of his girlfriend. So I went with uh, Jamie King. Now you might know her better as Goldie from Sin City. Um, the 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 want of uh of the murdered oh, blonde yeah, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in yeah, Sin yeah. City. Yeah, uh, she's yeah, done yeah. a ton of other stuff. Uh, she's been in a ton of things. She was also uh, Sarah Palmer in My Bloody Valentine, as well, uh, as well as tons of TV and movies. Had a lot right. of lot of lot of work under Jamie King's uh, uh, IMDb. But very much similar look to uh, Margot Robbie. I mean, yeah, borderline spitting image. Sure, but sure. just like a little bit less, you know. But not right. in looks. I mean, they're both stunning women. But there's that like classic kind of look that Margot Robbie has, and uh, Jamie King is not quite as like statuesque in her kind of look as I don't know. They're both stunning women. It's right. just I I think that dynamic would work really well. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to detract from how good looking Jamie King is. Like, no, no, I she's, think she could probably play, play you know, disaffected pretty well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially playing, having previously played a like drug addled prostitute in Sin City. There's a little bit of experience in that kind of role. Uh, then you've got Donald Kimball, the detective and yes, I thought an interesting dynamic to play into is that, you know, this is the one character out of this entire kind of storyline, a recurring character that isn't part of that world. Exactly. That is kind of like the, your entryway into this world. And uh, it was brilliantly done in the original. And I was thinking about like adding an additional nuance to it of it being somebody that almost is like kind of in 1980s New York kind of disallowed just basically by their background. And I figured that Forrest Whitaker would be a very interesting oh, choice yes. for, and he's worked with weird directors before. I mean, he was in ghost dog, uh, Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. So I mean, he knows how to deal with the weirdo directors. <laughs> and, Neil, Neil Jordan, yeah, uh, freaking yep. uh, crying game. Yep. So oh. uh, he's an incredible actor. I, he also can do that like charming, but charming with some motive behind it kind of vibe, he can do very well. And he can. Yeah. I think that's kind of the vibe that I want this uh, detective to have in this version of charming, kind of enamored by the whole like culture that he's looking at, but also kind of using that enamored to find out information, you know, is, is cutting. And you know, he sees all with his Forrest Whitaker eye. His Forrest Whitaker. The Forrest Whitaker eye sees all. You can goddamn right. <laughs> it does. It sees the truth. It's like looking into the eye of God. Um, then, so that's my, my real take. Now we're he, in... he would see straight fucking through, oh, Africa, brave Africa. It was a laugh riot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so, um, yeah, he would definitely see through that. <laughs> now, we've got to do a quick shot of our uh, remix, our remix, yeah. uh, which if you want me to stop doing that, listeners, uh, that terrible remix thing, <laughs> All I'm asking for is one of our listeners to send in some kind of like jaunty tune for us to use for our remix version <laughs> that I will like insert right there. So for our fun version, our remix, uh, what is the tone that you're approaching here? All right. So I'm doing a modern day 
kids version of the movie. A ki- wow, you wait, wait, fucking wild on both accounts. No, no, this is good. Set in modern day, with iPhones and fucking iWatches and all that kind of shit. Set in a modern day, uh, affluent prep school. Uh, this is set in like middle school, so you're talking like 11, 12 year olds. Yeah. Little American Psycho. Oh yeah. <laughs> American Psycho Jr. That's amazing. <laughs> I love, I actually genuinely love that. And I'm just going to kind of run through this because we went long on the yeah, first Yeah, we did, definitely did. Um, so, director. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Kids version, prep school. Make sure I'm not leaving anything. Out. Class struggle for popularity and attention. iPhones, Twitter, TikTok, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, TikTok, blah blah blah. Yeah, that sounds. That there sounds you go. Good. Yeah, I'm trying to get. You're the, old manning this shit real hard. I know, right? There's like with their with their smart watches and their TikToks. That goddamn right. These fucking kids today. I'm pretty sure they're doing all the things. Taika Waititi. Wow. Now, okay. That motherfucker, as versatile as he is with comedy, with with fucking Marvel action movies, apparently, um, he can direct kids. And I Agreed. super fucking respect any director that can handle kids well. You look for Steve, like Hunt for the Wilder People, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo I mean, yeah. Rabbit crushed me. It was so well done. It was yeah. funny. It was heartbreaking. It was everything. Um, there's a reason why Spielberg will always have a huge like place on the pedestal because he can direct kids like, like a motherfucker. Like nobody can. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to go through the cast. Do it. Let's do it. All right. Patrick Bateman, Noah Jupe, Honey Boy. Oh, wow. Oh, you know what? He's been casting stuff uh, since Honey Boy. He, he was in a few films besides Honey Boy, too. Yeah, yeah. I think he was, he was in one of the It movies, right? Uh, no? I believe... No. Uh, he, no, no, no. He was in a Quiet Place. That, quiet he, Place. He was okay. in a Quiet Place. He is incredible. He is the range on this kid. Yeah, it's incredible. He can do it. So, yeah, hands down. No problem there. Yeah. Um, the detective, uh, Donald Kimball is going to be, um, Danielle Kimball, uh, who is actually the, um, headmaster of the school. Okay. Played by Tilden Swinton. Yes. Yes, bitch. I mean, yes. And, and, and that, and, I'm and, sorry. I've been watching a lot of Breaking Bad recently. So <laughs> picture, picture her character in Snowpiercer where she's like the aristocratic kind of like. Sure. Matronly. Uh, enforcer of the rules, and but she is doing the investigation. Also, she played three roles in Suspiria. Come on, yeah, man, yeah. she's amazing. Um, all right, let's go down here. Uh, the rival, Paul Allen. Um, I went with a a, a child actor named. This is why this was hard. Child actors are always hard. always. That is like God the damn bane. it of the show's existence why we haven't done a Goonies episode yet because getting a cast of characters like you did with like either Stand By Me or Goonies or of that ilk uh, the Stranger Thing kids are like aging out yeah the kids are about to age out like we need another like 11 12 year old like ensemble movie or series just so we have more people for this show this was the the hardest part Uh, I went with Jack Dylan Grazer who was the friend of the main character in Shazam. He, oh, this fast talking, like basically if the fast talking cripple kid, if Vince Vaughn was a little kid in a movie. Yes. Because he was very much that, like 
smack talking, quick talking. Imagine type him character. as a pompous, like holier than thou. Uh, obviously not crippled in this movie. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, he could do it. I think so. Yeah, he would be the yeah self-important type. He could definitely yeah, pull that. He off. He could be the Paul Allen to okay. uh, Noah Jupe's uh, slightly less uh, self-important. All right, who who we got? Um, uh, Evelyn Williams, the girlfriend, McKenna Grace. She's been in a bunch of stuff. She, uh, most notably in my mind, played a uh, young Tanya in I Tanya. Okay, and she's been okay. in other stuff. That I was like, I haven't seen that, but probably like iCarly or something. Yeah, yeah probably. They, she, they all do Disney. She That's was good. Thing. Um, she's she's been blown up. Okay. So, so yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, the secretary, Jean, um, Daphne Keene, who is the little girl in Logan. Oh my God, she is who just has unbelievable. That, she has that look and that like those eyes that just like she can play like subdued and then she can get like big but also i think that that character with that actress it wouldn't be less uh it wouldn't be so much of a like an innocent kind of role so much as a kind of like broken person role of maybe somebody that is like seen a lot in their home life kind of vibe that is meek and quiet only because they've kind of like learned to be that way around their home life yeah right um, so then with Courtney, uh, the affair, uh, I went with, uh, Millie Bobby Brown. Okay. Only, only because I know she's a couple years older, but because, you know, it would be a situation where he was scoring a little bit outside of his class. Yeah. Okay. You know, he's in sixth grade. She's in eighth grade, you know? Oh shit. And he's like, yeah. Scandal. And, uh, yeah. So that would be awesome. Um, and then for the friends, uh, you know, Timothy Craig, David Lewis, uh, I went with uh, cast of Jojo Rabbit. Okay. <laughs> I went with- um, Oh, the adorable little kid with the glasses that has the robot Nazi yes, suit. Archie yes. uh, Yates, the friend, who would definitely be um, one of those guys. Like, if it wasn't creepy, as like a 39-year-old man, I want to be his best friend. You know? Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. He was so fucking adorable. And There's he, no way that his mother would allow that to happen. But He would probably be the Lewis character, but, yeah. but let's just be honest. Yeah. But uh, then also, um, what is it? Roman Griffith Davis, who played Jojo. Um, sure. Would definitely be one of them. And, you know, get two more kids. Yeah, just for for the like in front of the Home Depot, like roll up, be like, all right, we need children. Like, all right, we like we told the last guy, it was like, we'll call the cops. Like, stop exactly showing up asking about kids. But yeah, you know, the the concept is, you know, it's it's that it's you know, everything that's going on instead of being in the in the world of Wall Street finance is is in the world of, you know, middle school middle school in a prep in a like a highfalutin prep school everyone's got uniforms sure like it's it's everyone's parents are super rich you know it's and it's a whole society in and of itself that's separated from the rest of the world oh i can fully dig that that's great yeah so that's kind of where that's at and that works with like the wall street kind of culture as well is that it's like separated from the rest of the world it's its own little bubble within a, a society it's kind of a it's kind of a like a reimagining, but also maybe a prequel because, you know, in 15 years, 
when all these kids are getting through college, then they're going to Wall Street. Yeah, true. You know, and then they're killing hookers for real. I mean, (laughs) not just in their dreams. (laughs) Uh, Not just playing Grand Theft Auto, because it's a modern take. Although they'd be like, that's an old video game. Fuck you, kids. Um, They're playing it on their iWatches. Yeah, true. So for my version, I wanted to kind of use my remix version as an example as to why the original worked is that it wasn't just a full speed ahead, gruesome horror movie. It was that, but it also had this nuance to it that made it something bigger than that. It was a comedy and a drama and a thriller and a horror movie. And it was, it had so many notes of different genres that were compiled together to create this really wonderfully nuanced layered story about somebody that's losing their mind and, and uh, the inaccountability of the uh, of the the privileged, it okay. it requires a deft hand. And if you take a undeft hand and apply that to the same storyline, then you get what Eli Roth would do to American Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if my friends know that I don't have exactly the highest opinion of Eli Roth, and that's not to say that there isn't a place for him in filmmaking. There, there's always a place for somebody that has no real nuance to their, their filmmaking and just do like ham-fisted characters that just do, I guess I'm going to do a thing. Well, I'm going to make you not do a thing. Now there's conflict. Wow, that's great, Eli Roth. Well done. I think that's... we might have had this discussion on a prior podcast. It's very possible. But I, I, I kind of feel like Eli Roth and Rob Zombie both yeah, same. they really love genre cinema, and I love that they love genre cinema, but they just don't do genre cinema. Well. I think that's why I love the history of horror thing that Eli Roth did because it goes in that those that can't do teach is that he just needs to be that guy that has the little snippets on doc docu shows about horror movies because he's wonderful in those. He he's yeah a, a rich uh a wealth of information on horror movies and like the reason why things work and all that great. But clearly you can't use that information and and use it to make your own art. You know, you're simply an enjoyer of, and I I say it every time, like he put out as a promotional thing, a grindhouse style trailer for his death wish movie. And if he had made that movie, I would have watched that shit. Yeah, but unfortunately, we got the uh, Death Wish movie that he made, which was just a tragic knockoff of the original. Yes. Yeah. Now, if he went to the editing room and made a made that movie, which he might be able to do. I yeah. Imagine. But whatever. Speaking of, there is some castings that are from people that were in his terrible Death Wish um, version, and that was kind of what informed this: is that if uh, if you were to take Death Wish, which is a great revenge kind of movie, and then you you get a well, bad director to do it, then you get the Eli Roth death wish. And so this is like the Eli Roth American Psycho. And the tone is just basically a full speed ahead. You take all the weird nuances of like whether he's like crazy or not and stuff. You throw that right out the fucking like 95th floor window of the building that Patrick Bateman works in and just go full speed ahead. Psycho killer Wall Street guy. And that's it. There's no fucking depth to it. There's no excitement about it. He does blow. He pretends that he's a normal person, but he's clearly a fucking psychopath and he murders people and it's real and he does murder them. And And he's he's got some body count. And he's got body count and it's gory. (laughs) 
And the person to play that, I think, would be super fun with Patrick Bateman as uh, Patrick Wilson, who has his own uh, kind of place in horror as being involved in the uh, in the Insidious and Conjuring series. But that's definitely more of that kind of like atmospheric horror. But yeah. he, he's played like the badass and stuff before, too. Like he was uh, the Night Owl in Watchmen. Uh, Hard Candy was a great role that he was in oh, as well. Yeah, I think that it would be interesting to see him just like Eli Roth level balls to the wall bonkers guy would be very fun to see him just get unleashed in he a did role. some movie where he was a limousine driver that got into a real bad situation and it went way off the rails. I can't remember the name of the damn movie. Okay. But, but yeah, no, he, he could bring it. If you're listening and you know the name of the movie, please like shoot us a message on our social media. Cause I, I mean, I'm into watching that. He also incidentally was in a movie called big stone gap, which is based on a book based on a town in far southwest Virginia. And it's terrible. Ashley Judd's in it too. Oh, good. And I think Whoopi Goldberg. It's it's a horrible movie. <laughs> it's a bad movie. That's some great insights there, Groots. Like, I'm really glad that you brought that to the table. But for he's us from too. that area. I think he's from somewhere down there. Oh, okay. Or at some point. Now, uh, Gene is the next actor yeah. that I'm going to uh, cast, and that is the, the secretary person. And... It's a very meekish actress that has been in uh, one of Eli Roth's movie, Hostel 2. But the first informing I've ever had from this actress was her in the main role in Welcome to the Dollhouse, and w- which is a deeply dark and fucked up movie in its own right. Uh, and that is uh, Heather Matarazzo. And mm-hmm. in Hostel 2, she was the actress that was hung upside down naked and pulled over uh, the the female that ran the hostel and a what like sickle was dragged across her body, so blood poured down into like a bathtub of the person that ran the hostel, and like in an Elizabeth Bathory homage kind of scene. I never even saw Hostel Two because I hated Hostel. That's fine. So it's fine. You're fine. <laughs> You're good. But yeah, the the main actress in Welcome to the Dollhouse is like fully nude, hung upside down, and gutted in Hostel Two. So, but I think she'd be good as the secretary because she's like this very meekish kind of yeah. innocent type, nervous type character. Now I strangely want to see Hostel 2. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious now, like, because I can't picture her in anything other than Welcome to the Dawn. And she was like, uh, like a, a child in that movie. In Welcome to the Dawn. Yeah, and Welcome to the Not in Hostel 2. No, she's like a fully informed adult in Thankfully. Hostel 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we got Evelyn Williams, the uh, the girlfriend, and again that kind of plays with the whole like wanting them to look relatively similar. So I, I still wanted to go with that kind of like blonde archetype character from the original. And I went uh, with Bijou Phillips. Oh yeah, uh, you okay. may know from uh, she was in Hostel too as well. She was in the Chuck Palahniuk movie adaptation of Choke, yeah, as well, and uh, almost famous as well, like in her early days as well. Yeah, a great actress that. Uh, was actually married to uh, the Danny Masterson, the dude from that 70s show that had all those rape allegations. So, whoops. Yeah, I feel like maybe she needs to just kind of get roles to separate herself and like just society being like, honey, it's okay. Like, we, you're, you're good. I'm sorry you've had to deal with all this mess and this nightmare. Um, you're, you're, you're good. And just kind of. Well, uh, damn taken as the uh, elitist uh, upper crusty type gr- girlfriend in, in this one. Then Paul Allen 
this was an interesting choice only because I was looking for an actor that when you put side by side with Patrick Wilson has enough similar features, but also an actor that could play that really self-important piece of shit kind of character with a slightly better haircut, better haircut. And also I wanted an actor that could be like the, there's, there's a, a sense of humor that comes with Eli Roth movies uh, and it's that wackadoo kind of sense of humor that I think Will Arnett would fully inform by being Paul Allen. Oh my God. That would be so fucking awesome. So much fun. He would he would steal every ounce of, of like scene that he was in. Oh yeah, no. He would steal all the thunder from Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Just because he could talk over him. He could like just interrupt him and it would feel so natural. So you feel like the... the... He would be the alpha to Bateman's so Patrick Wilson, who is a kind of a a softer speaking actor generally, and then Will Arnett, who is like nuclear with his personality, oh my playing God. over him would be super fun. I w- I'll watch anything with that. And that not dude. nuanced at all, and which honestly, fits he, Eli Roth. He hasn't had enough work lately. No, he hasn't. Like, what the fuck is he doing? Then uh, Lewis, I uh, thought it would be kind of fun to throw back to a small name actor that was in the original Cabin Fever for Lewis. I went with uh, Giuseppe Andrews who played the the party cop in uh, in Cabin Fever. Very small role. Uh, Deputy Wilson was the name of the character. He was also in Detroit Rock City as well where it was two big things. He hasn't done anything since I think like 2013, 2014. Uh, he's still a working actor. He's still out there in the world but he just hasn't done a lot of stuff recently. Maybe he's doing theater. Theater, maybe, very possibly, or producing or directing. I've only looked at his acting stuff. But yeah, like I think it'd be kind of fun to bring him back as a smaller character. And he, he does look wet all the time. And I, it's weird that that was the one thing that I was looking for with the Lewis character. It just looks moist. <laughs> That's my main you casting. Cast, it could have cast moist from Dr. Horrible. <laughs> That's true. I could have. <laughs> Actually, that could have worked as well. Uh, and then I've got uh, Courtney Rollinson, the girlfriend of Lewis. And uh, who was played by Jamie King in my real version. I went with um, an actress that unfortunately has worked with Eli Roth before, which is so above or below her abilities as an actress. I adore this woman. And I feel almost kind of bad by casting her in a side role in this Eli Roth uh, abomination. Elizabeth Shue. She was in the Death Wish remake. Oh, God. Yeah, Yeah, unfortunately. And also what she's known for leaving Las Vegas, which was incredible. So that's what it kind of informed also her being able to play the, like the drugged out kind of just fuck, sure. fucked up like girlfriend person. And uh, of course, Hamlet too, uh, underappreciated role that she had playing herself. Well, most recently <laughs> her turn in the boys was amazing. amazing. So good. And I'm so mm. glad to see her in that series because she brings it. She brings that shoeness to the, uh, to the role. Dude, she owned that role yeah. so hard. Like, honestly, that was like the character death that I lamented the yep. most in that show. Now, then we got Donald Kimball, the detective. And uh, this is an actor that actually I've been a fan of forever. I know you have as well. Oh, yeah. Big fan of this uh, this actor uh, to play the detective. And he also recently, the kids movie, The House with the Clock in Its Walls that had uh, Jack Black and some other actors in it that was uh, directed by Eli Roth. I never did either. And I found out today that actually Kyle McLaughlin uh, was in that as well. And I thought he would be a very fun, like jovial detective type. Yes. 
uh, like the Willem Dafoe character in the original, I think he would nail that shit, especially in a kind of like a chew scenery, bigger version of American Psycho. Is it bad that I totally forgot that movie existed? The house with the clock in his walls? Yeah. No, because everybody thought it was a Goosebumps movie, and it wasn't. Because Jack Black was in the Goosebumps movie, and then he did something that looked just like a Goosebumps movie, but wasn't a Goosebumps movie. I think I want to watch that just to watch it. Yeah, I think it needs to happen at some point, and I don't think I'm going to have a bad time. I don't think I'm going to have a great time. I think I'm just going to have a time (laughs) watching that movie, and that's fine. Yeah, I'll deal with it. It's going to be Jack Black being like, skadoosh, the whole time, and that's fine. Hey, you know, you know what you get. Yeah. Now we're at the point, and we've got to go quick because we are definitely over time. Oh, we went Jesus. really long on the first part of this. but Yeah, didn't we? Uh, we've got some mashups that we're going to hit. And the first one, Katie from Nerdcropolis, uh, the podcast and blog, suggested that we mash up this with, and this is a perfect melding, Office Space. Oh, yeah. Dude. You can have like that same exact storyline of American Psycho, but with the like the nerdy friends that work in the adjacent. Yeah, yeah, the sort of like the, the, the blue collar office workers. Yeah. You know, that are that are just grinding day to day with data entry and shit. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And you could even have like maybe one of them that kind of finds out that he's this, I don't know, American psycho. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's give it to him. But let's maybe do like Boondock Saints. You saw that movie? Let's do it like that where we get the bad guys. Let's kill our bosses. Let's kill the like CEO. Let's do some shit. And he's like, fuck it. Yeah, let's also, I don't steal money. He's like, fuck it. Let's do all of it. Who was the main character in Office Space? Brian what? Uh, Ron Livingston. Ron Livingston. Was the main actor. As if he was just like, instead of being like, oh shit, I'm just not going to give a fuck and be free. Instead, he's like, uh, I'm going to kill that coworker. Yeah. And then that one over there too. Yep. And, and like just, somebody has a case of the Mondays, stab, stab, stab. Yeah. I'm going to need you coming on Sunday too. It's like, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, he does. And I'm then... going to see you in your home later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think that's a perfect mashup. I think that would work really well. I love it. And also, fuck, I didn't even think about the idea of getting uh, Mike Judge to direct an American Psycho movie. It would be so much fun. That would be good. That would be great. I would love that. Then we've got a suggestion from the Danimal, who was on the last episode of Smack My Pitch Up, with a Field of Dreams. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm, I'm having some struggles figuring out how to mash that up. The only thing I can think is the the dad connection with Kevin Costner's character in Field of Dreams and then it's mentioned offhand in American Psycho that his father owns the company that he's working for so clearly it's like a he he got the job because he's like the worthless kid that doesn't do anything yeah well he, he I mean he's the heir yeah and you know no matter what the heir has to be the heir so you got to get him the job you got to get him like the position and and prop him up but I'm wondering like Considering that, like, Field of Dreams is, is, you know, this sort of uh, movie about, you know, the past and, and I don't know, I don't know re- regret, maybe? Like, like I'm, I, and follow, follow me here. I think I have, like, a, a line on this. Yeah. That I'm struggling. The whole deal is him trying to further figure out his connection to his father. And he has a love of baseball. He knows father was, like, a ball player. Yeah. And it's him finding out more about his father. Maybe instead of baseball, it's a psychotic murder. And he learns that his dad was also a psycho killer. And that he is like kind of 
understanding that his want and desires as a psycho killer is more of like a family heritage kind of thing. And then instead of if you build it, they will come. It's like if you kill it, I will come. <laughs> and it, then it turns into like a Candyman thing where he's oh. going to like murder a certain number of people <laughs> to get his ghost dad psycho killer to like show up and then they can murder happily together. Oh, I have so much to say right now, but you know what? I, let's move it along. Okay, all right. I'll all say right. it after we, we cut. Okay, all right. Uh, then we've got the choice of Gossip Girl, uh, and that was from our, uh, our, our showrunner on the network from Deeply Upsetting, Amy Bogard, suggested that as an option. Now, I'm not entirely familiar with Gossip Girl. I'm not either. To be entirely fair, when it was suggested, I mixed that up with uh, the, what's the other uh, fast-talking rich girl show that everybody loves. It's the like single mom and Gilmore uh, girls. Gilmore girls. Yeah. I, I thought that's what it was. And no, th- I have no frame of reference for gossip girl. Is it like affluent white girls talking about how hard their lives are? Is I would that... imagine so. Cause Gilmore okay. girls is, is harshly defended by many of our friends I a- as being a good thing. I mean, it does have, um, uh, one of the Ramey brothers in it. So, Right? No, no, it's got uh, Sean Gunn. Oh, Sean Gunn. James Gunn's uh, brother in it. One of the brothers. Yeah, sorry. And, you know, I watched several episodes because we actually did do a Gilmore Girl episode on Geeks Under the Influence years ago. There you go. And uh, I got to say that my opinions were not appreciated on that episode whatsoever. I mean, the writing's fine. It kind of fell to me like, um, uh, what was that? was that like alaska show they had northern exposure yeah it felt like that to me (laughs) wow well whatever okay you know what um but that's not what we're talking about so gossip girl i don't know it but i think it totally fits in the idea of american psycho because all these people do are go to work fuck around but everything they do outside of work is talking shit and being, you know, douchebags and and just fucking like what? I I'm okay. Uh, now I haven't some thoughts here. There's there's some movies where there are choices being made by characters in the background of a scene that makes the scene really work because like there's actual conversation, insight, plot direction happening in the foreground, but in the yeah. background there's characters doing fucking wackadoo shit that when rewatching, you can watch that and it's almost like there's a separate movie happening in the background. So what if we take Gossip Girl where it's just like, oh, I don't know, I'm a hangnail. Ugh. Like, and just dumb fucking affluent shit that's happening. But in the background, it's just their husbands and boyfriends that are murdering hookers. Like, just like dragging them between hallways and just gruesome gore happening. They're horrifying human beings. Like, I got it. I okay. got it. This mashup is a mirror of American Psycho. Okay. That focuses on all the female characters of the movie. Okay. As opposed to Patrick Bateman and all yeah. his coworkers. This is freaking Evelyn Williams and and Courtney and and like all everything going on on their side. For, from their perspective. It it is it's like a mirror movie. Yeah. You know, everything happening that we saw already 
isn't what we're seeing on it's screen. It's like Ender's Game and then the later book Ender's Shadow where it's from the perspective of uh, Bean where it's like <laughs> the same story but it's a the different perspective. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's Evelyn centric maybe. And then you've got like, you know, the like the affair interest and and like all the other girlfriends that maybe weren't even pictured in the film but like maybe were mentioned in the book, etc. There you go. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. That's I think the best we're going to do with Gossip Girl, Jesus Christ! I don't know. It's a tough one. Oh my God. Okay, now we're we're in the t- in the home stretch. Oh yeah, as it were. Also, um, circling back to the Field of Dreams remake. Yeah. Uh, when it's like Psycho Killer Dad, Ghost Dad that he's trying to get back. Field of Screams. Right. I mean, has to be right. It would ha- it would have to be. And you said Ghost Dad, so I gotta say, put the bitch on the phone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Very fair enough. <laughs> All right, so now um, we're going to line up some trailers. I think I'm going to do... I'm going to do a 30-second teaser. Yeah, I think I'm going to do this. We're going to keep it keep it brief. Um, I'm going to just do like a Grindhouse Eli Roth version. I'm going to do my like shitty remix version because I, I think a, a teaser is all that that really needs. So I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm doing the kids' version. Cool. Let's cue up the music. prep school a young man 12 years old Patrick Bateman has a wonderful bunch of friends but there's strange things afoot in this school situation he has a hard time he is terrifying however as some of his friends and classmates die there is someone investigating the headmaster Tilda Swinton is trying to figure out who this young psycho is Noah Juke plays Patrick Bateman his friends Jack Dylan Glazer McKenna Grace Daphne Kane they who will be killed who won't be killed <laughs> Welcome this fall to American Psycho Prep School Edition. You're like, who will be killed? Who will not be killed? I'm like, who will survive and who, what will be left of them? Like, what? Uh, it was, I was fucking winging it fast. We went oh too long. Oh my God. No, fair. <laughs> very fair. All right. <laughs> Jesus. I, I, I know I'm giving you shit like I'm going to do any better and I'm definitely not. No, no, so. it's fine. All right, here we go. I'm going to be doing my Eli Roth version. So uh, let's, <laughs> let's light this turd candle. All let's right, here we go. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Wall Street, a new vision from the auteur that brought you Cabin Fever, Hostel 1 and 2, and the unintelligible remake of Death Wish. Eli Roth brings you a new vision in American Psychopathy, American Psycho. There's none of this fucking heady bullshit this time. It's just a full-on, full-speed tour de force of mayhem and slaughter on the streets of New York City. Follow Patrick Bateman as he tears through with a razor's edge through all the horrors of New York. 
and stuff <laughs> this summer. Enjoy a fucking brutalization of the thing you love, just like Patrick Bateman brutalizes hookers. American Psycho Redux. <laughs> Alright, so... <laughs> some some choices were made. Hey, uh, you know what? Hey. I, I was trying to pull up on my phone like the cast listing and there was a point where I just went, it doesn't really matter. No. I don't think it does. No. It's a teaser. It's fine. It's fine. Fuck it, man. Patrick Wilson. It. Like, hey, that's fine. Hey, we fleshed out these fucking movies in the hour and 20 minutes beforehand. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, I thank you so much for sticking around for <laughs> this. Uh, ter- these terrible choices we made on American Psycho. It's true. I would fully suggest, and I'm saying this as somebody that hasn't done so, uh, to read the book because apparently it's so much more darker and depraved than the, the film. It's hardcore. Por- portrays. Yeah. And uh, also, definitely find yourself a copy of American Psycho. If you have the opportunity to do so through our link at Am- for Amazon.com, at GYPodcast.com, upper right-hand corner, click on that. It'll send you to Amazon, and then we get credit for you purchasing the but super ultra edition of American Psycho, along with the book, if you like. And uh, definitely tell us what you enjoyed about the show, um, this episode, previous episodes, what you'd like to see in the future, and rate, review, subscribe, all that cool stuff that every podcast you listen to uh, asks you to do at the end of the episode. We're also asking you to do that for us. I also want to uh, thank the vast majority of the music we use on this episode. i uh, got to be better about like notating that is from audionautics.com. The information about that is on our notes for this episode. Uh, that's most of the trailers, the intro, all that stuff. Most of that comes from Audionautics. Uh, it's a free, fully free uh, source for a lot of great uh, background music and, Hell and yeah, instrumental man. music. So, um, I am Mike the Hobbit. I want to thank Brutes for joining me on this voyage through American Psychopathy. I was glad to go down this rabbit hole with you. Absolutely. And uh, we'll find you next time in another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. And you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com. Thank <laughs> you.